you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Church. Well, if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to jump right in. We've got a very busy morning this morning, and I've got uh, a word on my heart, I believe, from the Lord for you. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you're going to want to go to John chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to just read verse 8, but then we're going to jump to verse 27 just to confuse you. No one's going to be confused. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's word as we prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Um, Here we go. This is John chapter four. Uh, Just real quick, give you a little bit of background in case you haven't been with us. Uh, Those didn't, did my slides upload? This is going to be interesting. Um, We'll go to verse eight. Um, We'll see how this goes. Uh, So just to give you a little bit of background here, uh, Jesus has traveled from Judea and he's going up to Galilee and he's gone through an area that most Jewish people don't go through, this area called Samaria. And he's chosen to travel through there and go to this town, and he meets a woman there. And we're not going to talk about that because we've talked about that for like two months. But uh, we're, we're going to get, we're going to work around it. And there's this, this phrase here, this sentence that might seem like a throwaway. And I'll be honest, I think I probably did a little bit when I read it several times. But I think holds a valuable key for us as to what's going on in this story. Here's what it says. It says, for his disciples, it's Jesus' disciples, had gone away. Everybody say, gone away. They had gone away into, come on, into where? Into the city. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now let's go ahead and jump to verse 27. Verse 27. Says, so, so let me, again, fill in here for you. I want to I not get lost in the weeds, but I want to make sure you don't get lost uh, at all. So, so his disciples had gone away. Jesus has this long conversation with his disciples, uh, or sorry, had a long conversation with a woman. She's impacted by this conversation, leaves to go back to her city to tell people about Jesus. And just then, verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus. They were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Let's go ahead and pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you that your word is living and active. It's not dead and passive. God, I thank you that you are are with us and you are here to speak to us. And so we ask right now that you would do just that, that you would speak, that you would grant us ears to hear and hearts to receive, that, that by hearing God, something would, would, would travel through the noise of our day, through the, the distractions of life, through the cares and concerns of, of this present time and would go deep within us. And I, I even pray, Lord, that it would, it would come alive inside of us in a new and an amazing way that a life would be, would be born on the inside of us that would transform the life outside of us. 
They would change the way we think, change the way we process the information that comes at us, change our perception and our perspective that we might see a little bit more the way you see so that we might respond the way you respond so that the world, when they see us, wouldn't see us, but they would see you, that you might be glorified and the world might know the good that comes from being restored back to relationship with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? High five some people and grab a seat. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go as fast as I possibly can this morning. So um, if you were here last week, you know that uh, we, we talked about the disciples and sort of asked the question, why is it that, that this, the disciples, these followers of Jesus who've been with Jesus for some time now, they go into a city and have no impact on the city, yet this woman who has one conversation with Jesus goes into the city and the city is utterly transformed. And we talked about that, and we, we sort of dug into that. I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. But just very quickly to sort of review kind of the overall thing of what's going on here so that we're together on this, uh, we, we need to remember that Jesus is not just wandering through life. Amen? Jesus isn't just sort of like meandering about his days, hoping he finds something to do. Jesus, come on, is on a mission. Jesus has a purpose in everything he does. Jesus has a goal that he's trying to accomplish as he goes throughout his day, and that goal specifically is the goal of redemption. Jesus is about redemption. He's, he is there, we, we've talked on this, but he is there to redeem a place by redeeming a people by redeeming a person. He's there, to, he's there to bring reclamation to this place. This place has a tremendous prophetic history. This place has a significant historical and cultural meaning. It's, it's, it's been divided from the rest of the people of God, and Jesus is there to bring reclamation to that place, and, and not just to the ground, but he's gonna bring it to the ground by bringing it to the people, by restoring back to them a right understanding of who God is and how to worship God and how our relationship with him works. And all of that starts with one individual person. I want to encourage you, don't forget the one that's in front of you. We have a big mission, amen? We have a giant purpose, but all of it boils down to one, to one person, to that one person in front of us. You don't know if, if, if the one person you hand a card to might actually be the, the, the one that is the key to unlocking a whole region. You never know. So Jesus is on a mission. However, the disciples, who really should be there with him, right? They should, be, they should be a part of this mission. The disciples go into the city. They have no impact on the city. And we talked about this last week. This is the review real quick. They needed to change their provision, where they found their strength and their power and their ability. They needed to change their perception, how they saw things. They needed to change their perspective, the, the, the degree, the angle from which they saw things. They needed to see things from a heavenly perspective, amen? Not just an earthly one. They needed to change their prize, their motivation. Why were they doing what they were doing? And their paradigm, the whole, the whole purpose of their life needed to be shifted. But I, I said last week that there was, there was some other piece missing to this. You see, because there's a detail that I've missed as I've read through this, and that is this. They called him rabbi. They called Jesus rabbi. Everybody say rabbi. rabbi. 
They called him rabbi. Now, now, in case you weren't here when we started this, this, this series about a year ago and you missed chapter one, let me just give you a real quick uh, overview of what that means. The, the, the culture at the time was a rabbinical, a rabbi culture. That was the way that people were taught and trained and educated. And to be a disciple of a rabbi was to be called to follow him. If you remember back in chapter one, that's how Jesus called the disciples. He would walk up to them and he would say, follow me. And, and we think there's something, because we don't understand the culture, we think there's some sort of mystical, the, the theological term is around that. That he just walked up to them and said, follow me, and they instantaneously become zombies and just started following Jesus. No, that's not true at all. Actually, that was the, the phrase that a rabbi would say to a student to call them as a disciple. He would say, follow me. And so they're they're called to follow Jesus, and yet what we see in verse eight, what we saw in verse eight, I'm gonna throw it back up there real fast. Verse eight, I always read this verse wrong. Have you ever read the Bible wrong? I Don't you wanna hear that from your pastor? I read the Bible wrong. For his disciples, here's what I had read, had been sent into the city by Jesus to go buy food. But is that what it says? No. It says they had gone away. As a disciple following a rabbi, you have one job, and that is to be with your rabbi so that you can become like your rabbi by learning everything your rabbi knows. His job is to teach you everything that he knows so that that way you can be just like him. And yet in this, in this moment, in this, in, this, in this what we recognize now as this gigantic, pivotal moment for an entire region of Samaria, where are the disciples? They've gone away. They've left their post by Jesus. They've abandoned their call to follow Jesus. And, and here's what I wanna say to us. I believe we do the same thing. I'm not taking back what I, what I said last week where we need to change our perception or perspective. All of that stuff is necessary, but here's what I wanna say. None of that stuff gets fixed apart from being with him. All of that stuff gets fixed simply by being with him. All of it gets fixed, but we tend to abandon Jesus <laughs> and then get angry at him for not being with us. We tend to, to, to ignore his presence, to ignore his abiding with us. Because let's be clear about something. I'm gonna be using words like abandon, but Jesus is better at staying with us than we are at staying with him. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to always be with us. So the abandoning that we do of Jesus is 100% in our own perception, not in reality. And I wanna walk through what I think is in the text here as to why we abandon Jesus. I think we abandon Jesus when we have a need, we think he is either unwilling, uninterested, or unable to meet. The disciples had walked a pretty long way. And it makes sense, right? Jesus himself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the text tells us, from this journey was weary. He was tired. 
He was weary. He was, he was worn out from the journey. And yet in that moment, his disciples, rather than, than, than leaning on him for the, the meeting of their need, they had a perception. We have a perception. No, no. Either Jesus is unwilling to meet this. He's uninterested in meeting this. Or maybe he just flat out can't do it at all. By saying unwilling, what, what I mean is that, that, that he wants me to have this unmet need. He's unwilling to do it. He knows I have the need and he's aware of it, but you know what? He just wants me to be miserable. We buy into this, don't we? Well, you know, this, this is just, it's the will of God that I just be miserable and horrible and a wretched, miserable, horrible. <laughs> it's to develop me spiritually. It, it makes me a horrible person to be around, but it's really for my spiritual development. God wants me to be hangry. He likes it when I bite people's heads off because I need a Snickers bar. See, we get this in our head that, that, that God just somehow doesn't want me to, to be away from this. And, and we need to be careful because, yes, God will allow us to go through difficult, hard seasons. Okay, I'm not denying that, that there are times when we will go through hard things. But when we say God is unwilling to help me in my time of need, when we abandon Jesus and we go look for a solution somewhere else, rather than leaning into Jesus in those hard times. When we do that is because we think he's unwilling to help us. By, by uninterested, here's what I mean. I think a lot of us think when we have a certain type of need that's not super spiritual, God doesn't care about it. God doesn't care about my non-spiritual needs. If it doesn't involve heaven and church and the kingdom and the Bible and praying for people, God's really not interested in helping me. Because, you know, he's, he's busy with big stuff. He's busy with spiritual stuff. He's busy with complicated global issues. He's not really interested in my just kind of basic need hunger. We think God is uninterested. We think he doesn't, he doesn't really work in those areas. He's not really interested in, in, in meeting me in the place where I, I struggle with, 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 with sexual temptation, where I, where I struggle with, with my own personal way that I see myself. He's not really interested in, in helping me you know, be kinder at work. Those aren't really his areas. He's just sort of a big picture God. He's not interested in the small stuff. He doesn't really care that I haven't been able to hold down a job and, and I don't have the character within me to actually be able to be a good person. But you know, I pray and I read my Bible. That's what God's interested in helping me with. Sometimes we think God is unable, that somehow God has a limitation on his abilities. Either by nature, by the nature of who God is, he just doesn't work in those areas. Or sometimes we think, no, it's not that he's un unable in that way. It's just, you know, God doesn't have the means by which he needs to meet this need. God's unable to meet this need. I mean, he, it can't be God that meets this need. I need to have something else meet this need. How is God gonna provide for me? I need, to, I need to find provision elsewhere. And when we believe this way, listen to me, we abandon our, our, our devotional relationship with Jesus and we go looking for solutions elsewhere. And here's what I wanna tell you, very loud and very clear. None of those things are true. None of them are true. It is not that God is, is, is unwilling. It is not that God is uninterested and it is not that God is unable. And I'm gonna prove it to you in the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about just spiritual stuff. No, he says, do not be anxious about anything but in, how much is everything? 
I looked it up in Greek. It means everything. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Get this. God is interested. He's interested in hearing about your needs. Philippians 4.19, as you go on, it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So that means it's not that he's not unable. 2 Corinthians uh, 9.8, you thought we were done. We're not. And God is able to make all grace. How much grace? All grace abound to you so that you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All, 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 all. We wanna, we wanna put God in this little, there's a spiritual box and there's unspiritual boxes and God's only just a spiritual box and this is in the Bible. And what does it say? All sufficiency, all things, all times. He does it, not us. Second Peter, this is one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses. His divine power, whose divine power? Who's he? Jesus, come on. His divine power, let's do it. Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Come on. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's him, it's him, it's him. And if you think this is just a New Testament thing, first, one of the first verses we taught our kids, we, met, we had our kids memorize, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Come on, it is, it is absolutely true that God is more, more abundantly willing, infinitely interesting, and more than able to meet your need. You do not need to have Jesus and then go find other things to meet your needs. He is more than able. Come on, he is infinitely interested in you. If that does not make your head start to explode, I don't know it's going to. The creator and sustainer of all things is infinitely interested in your need. So why do we run off to other places? Why are we running to other things thinking we need to do this? When we think we have a need that God is not interested or able or willing to meet, we run off to do this. He says, make your requests known to God. I want to be clear about this. I'm not saying we just sit quietly with Jesus and hope he does something. What I'm saying is we have a vital relationship with Jesus and we pour out our hearts to him in those times. When you hit that hard time, when you hit that need, when you hit that struggle, we, you, you pour your heart, you make your requests known to God. When we don't, I'm gonna, this side note, extra, you don't have to pay for this one. When we don't, here's what it says. When we don't do this, it either means that, that we lack the trust in God to meet that need, or because we think our need that we have is somehow sinful or wicked. You're, you're single here and you wanna be married and you think, well, that's, that's just a sinful desire. I shouldn't talk to God about that. No, he's interested in that. It's not sinful. Listen, if it is sinful, here's the cool thing. Drag it into the light before God and he'll show you that and deliver you from that bondage. 
So regardless, you make your request known to God. And when he says, no, you don't need a bigger house, you need to learn you need, you, that the need I'm gonna meet is not by giving you a bigger house and a fancier car. The, the, the need I'm gonna meet in you is teaching you how to be content where God has you, where I've placed you, he says. I'm gonna impart that to you. And suddenly you're gonna find out that, you know, I don't I hate the little house I'm living in anymore. Some of you are, are, are in really rough seasons in relationships. Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a family member in your life and, you, and you're going like, it's sinful desire because what I want is for God to just you know, kill the other person. <laughs> it's gonna help you here, some, some married people. Some of you, I'm gonna say something, I need you to listen. Some of you need a new marriage. You're married and you need a new marriage. And God's gonna give you one and you're never gonna get divorced because he's gonna change you and your spouse and make you somebody new. But you're not talking to God about the struggles in your marriage because you think your cry for a new marriage is actually sinful. And it's actually, it's actually been placed there by God in your heart. And he wants you to pray for that. So you also abandoned God. And this, this is the one I'm gonna be honest, I think more Christians struggle with. I'm gonna be real. We abandon Jesus when we think he needs us to do something for him. I don't know. I, I'm just all cards and table. I don't know. Do they leave Jesus to go buy food for themselves or do they leave Jesus to go buy food for Jesus? The, the text isn't clear. I think the reason why the text isn't clear is because I think we, we, we abandon Jesus for both reasons. When we think we have a need that he won't meet and when we somehow think God has a need that we have to meet. Now this either comes, and please know that I love you. This thinking that God needs me to do something for him either comes from the depths of ignorance or the heights of arrogance. Because God, I love you, does not need you for anything. That never gets a lot of amens. <laughs> That's not gonna ever sell a bumper sticker. God doesn't need you, right? like, I'll be totally straight, like I'll be really real. I, I, I believe when I was a young Christian, I really thought everything I was called to do by God is because he needed me to do it. And when a spiritual father in my life told me, you realize that God doesn't need you, I got really angry and didn't talk to him for about two weeks. And then I was, I was just reading through the Bible and I remember literally thinking like, God, you do need me. You need me to preach the gospel to people. And I was reading this story of a prophet who was riding a donkey and he was walking in, he was trying to do into disobedience and the donkey kept, kept trying to get him away from it and the donkey actually preached to the guy. And, and God pointed this out to me because he preached, the donkey speaks like a Disney movie. He speaks to the guy, the prophet, and the prophet responds and repents and, goes and, and becomes obedient to God. And in that moment, I realized donkeys have a better track record in preaching than humans do. That donkey's batting average is better than mine. God does not need you. God has no need inside of himself for you. We've, we, we say it this way around here. We are the dependent ones. He is the decisive one. God has custom, hear me please. I need attention all these things. God has custom designed a place for us in the purpose that he is fulfilling in the earth today. 
There is a custom place that he has, he has laid out in his plan that includes his sons, that includes his people. And yet at the same time, we are not the decisive factor in the purposes of God in the earth today. So don't take the, 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 the place that he's given you as some sort of ego-boosting position. It's not. See, God has a custom place, yet it's in no way is he dependent upon us. You are loved by God. You are called the bride of Christ. You are called sons of God. If you have repented and believed the gospel, I'm talking to you. You're loved by God. You are the bride of Christ. You are a son of God. That's who you are. Okay, that, that, that's who you are. And yet, at the same time, we need to realize that we have not risen because of his calling upward into his family. We have not risen to a place of divinity. We have not risen to a place of, 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 of somehow able even to meet God's needs if he had one. I, this wasn't planned. Uh, Psalm, I think it's 50. We're going to find out how well I know my Bible. Psalm 50, I'm guessing it's around verse 10 or 12 or something. Yep, here we go, 12. Woohoo! I was right. Um, that was going to be real embarrassing. Psalm 50, verse 12. This is God speaking. Here's what he says. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. God does not have a need. I need to, I need to hammer on this because I, I heard a Harris heretical teaching this week on the radio. And when I do that, I lose my salvation for a moment. And here's what the, here's what the heretic said. I'm not telling you who it is, it's fine. Um, he said, God created, you know, we're created for a relationship with God. True statement. You were created to be in a relationship with God. Here's the heretical part. Because God was lonely. I'm not kidding. I was really glad there was no cops around because my car did this on the road. It's like, <laughs> no. it was, God was lonely because he had these angels, but they weren't able to, you know, they, didn't, they weren't like him. So he made people on the earth to be like him so that he could hang out with them and he could have a relationship with them because God was needy junior high girl who wanted a boyfriend. <laughs> okay, he might not have said the needy junior high, that, that, adding that part, but he said God needed us. He needed to have a relationship with us. He needed, he needed. No, listen, God is triune. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. God within himself has all the relationship he needs. And by the way, let's just play for a minute that he did need us. Do you really think he would have made us? I don't think so. I don't think so. God doesn't, but people say, but God needs me to do this for him. He needs, me to, he needs me to serve in kids' ministry, to tithe. He needs me to greet people. He needs me to invite people. He needs me to be nice. He needs me to you know, make up with my spouse. He needs me to, to, to be loving and kind. He needs me to preach the gospel. He needs, me to, he needs me to. He needs me to. No, 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 no. He doesn't need you to do that. You need to do that. The call of God on your life is for your good. The call of God, the, when God speaks to us and says, I, I want you to do fill in the blank. It's because you need it and he's trying to meet the need that you have that you've been telling him about. You're crying out to God. If you're doing the first one that we talked about, you're not abandoning him because of a need and you're crying out to him because of a need. He's gonna tell you, okay, go do this. 
And you're just saying, I don't understand. I told you I need this. He said, yeah, you need to do this because that's the way that you're gonna find the fulfillment that you need that you're telling me about. But your perception, your perspective, your paradigm is off. And I'm going to fix it. And see, the thing we, we forget about, the thing we don't realize is the kingdom of God is upside down most often. And so when we cry out to God for things like this, we cry out to God and say, everybody hurts me and everybody, everybody's mean to me, everybody's abandoned me and I'm, I'm hurt relationally and people keep letting me down and people keep, 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 keep disappointing me and I don't have the relationships that I need in my life. What does Jesus tell you to do? Go be friendly. You don't understand, people hurt me. Yeah, go be friendly. Because Proverbs says, he who is friendly will not lack friends. Go be friendly. You say, God, I'm broke and I don't have enough money. I have more month than I have money and so I'm missing bills. And God says, okay, I want you to tithe. I want you to, I want you, he's gonna give you a percentage. I want you to set aside that, the first fruits and give that to me. And you go, God, I don't think you're an accountant. I just told you I don't have enough and you told me to give some away. And he goes, yeah, that's because you're eating seed. And if you eat seed, you'll never have enough. <laughs> but if you learn to sow seed, you'll always have enough because he gives bread to the eater and seed to the Sower, so become a sower and you'll always have seed to sow. Do you get how it's backward sometimes? And we think God is this mean God forcing me to do stuff I don't wanna do. <laughs> and God's saying, I'm trying to meet the need you're asking me to meet. Because you see, I'm gonna say it, we say it a lot around here, I'm gonna say it real loud. Your problem is not your problem. Your proximity is your problem. Your awareness of your closeness with Christ is the root of every problem in your life, period. No exceptions, no explaining. That's the reality. When we abandon proximity because either we think we have a need that, that, God, that God has, that we have a need that God's not interested in or able, able or willing to meet, we abandon him and we go over here. Or we think God's called us to do something, so we abandon him and we go over there. We leave proximity, and proximity becomes the problem. And here's the problem with that. When we abandon proximity, we miss the mission and the provision. Going back to the text, going back to the text, what, what ends up happening to the disciples? What do they say? What happens? Verse eight, they go away, right? Verse eight, they go away. They, they abandon Jesus and they go away. And then when they come back, what happens? They're confused by what Jesus is doing. They, 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 they somehow go away. They somehow, they're, they're off doing their own thing. They come back, Jesus is talking to this woman and they go, well, why, why, is, he, why is he talking to her? Why, why is he, what, what, what's, what's going on? I, I don't understand. Why, why would he want to talk to this woman? Why would he want to do this? It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. They miss the mission. They, they, they're unable to be a part of the mission of God. Now, I want to be clear. I, I talked about the fact that these disciples all went into the city, and the city didn't change. And I blamed that on the disciples. And I'm not, I'm not backing off from that fully, but here's what I do need to make clear. The city did not need the disciples. The city needed Jesus. The city needed Jesus. The city needed to, to see Jesus. But the disciples had abandoned him. The disciples had gone away, the Bible tells us. That's the, the verbiage in the scriptures. They'd gone away. You see, what Jesus 
calls us to do is to be with him. So you are not called to do anything for Jesus. I thought that would get an amen or two. You are not called to do anything for Jesus. But we are invited to do everything with Jesus. Jesus models this for us. He tells us, I don't do anything. It's Jesus speaking. He says, I don't do anything I don't see the Father do. And then he also tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what he's calling us into is a, is a devotional intimacy, a, a proximity, an intimacy of proximity, being close to him, being intimate with him, and then just doing whatever we see him do. We go about our day, and we don't ever abandon him. We don't ever leave that. We don't ever leave that place. We just stay with him. When we attempt to do God's will or work outside of proximity, we will not have the means to work in obedience. Because we miss the mission, but we also miss the provision. They came back. Why is he talking to her? But nobody was willing to ask, because I think they probably all realized if we would have been here the whole time, we'd know why he was talking to her. But they also missed the provision. They missed that power. They missed that, su that sustaining force because they weren't with him. So they're sitting there with him, and I get this in the text because they're, they're with him, and they're saying, okay, Jesus, eat, eat something, eat something. And what does Jesus say? I've already eaten. You missed the provision. See, we think Jesus isn't gonna meet or he isn't able to meet the need, so we run off and we go try to meet the need somewhere else. And the whole while, Jesus is going, I had food here. I would have fed you. I would have sustained you, but you missed all of it. So you, you have to go fill your bellies with, 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 with inferior food. How many of you think the food Jesus had was better than the food they bought in the Samaritan village? But so often we fill our bellies with inferior things and then complain that we don't have the strength we need to obey God. Jesus says, just be with me. Power comes in proximity. But here's the problem, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Or do we say, I want Jesus and something else? I want Jesus and add something on the side. We were never called to do things for Jesus. But we are invited to do everything with Jesus. I'm just Devotion is better than duty. Being devoted to him is better than being really diligent. Your devotion to Jesus trumps your discipline 100% of the time. Just be devoted. Just be devoted. Just be fascinated. Just be captivated by him. Intimacy of proximity imparts eyes to see the beauty of all that God is doing and the love to fuel obedience. To be a disciple means to follow a rabbi. Amen? Here's what follow means, really simple. Follow means to stay and follow means to obey. I stay with him and I just do whatever he says. I stay with him, I never, I never leave him, come on. When he calls me to do something, he's not calling me to leave him to go do something, he's calling me to do something with him. We're about to send a team to India. One of you is excited about that. We're about to send a team to India. Do you think they're leaving Jesus in America to go to India? 
They're not leaving, they're taking. They're not leaving, they're taking. We don't abandon Jesus, come on, to go obey Jesus. We stay with him and we obey him. Because he's promised, he's promised, he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And God is not a man that he should lie. So he's with you. So to follow simply means to stay and obey. That's it. That's it. If we're gonna call Jesus our rabbi, if we're gonna call Jesus our Lord, if we're gonna call Jesus our master, we gotta learn how to stay, we gotta learn how to obey. That's it. As we go out this week, as we, as we move into a season as a church of a lot of outreach, of a lot of, uh, of, a lot of talk about, about doing that which God has called us to do, I, I, I feel like we have to get this drilled down into our spirits. We're not called to do something for him. We're, called, we're invited to do everything with him. I'm gonna change that. We're not invited. God doesn't invite nothing. We're commanded <laughs> to do everything with him. We're commanded to do everything with him. So as we ask you to go out and invite people to church, we're not asking you to do something for God. We're asking you to do something with God. Because how many of you think that Jesus is interested in your barista at Starbucks repenting and believing the gospel and being restored back to life in Christ? How many of you think that your annoying neighbor who throws parties when they're not supposed to needs to get saved? How many of you are the neighbor that needs to get saved? <laughs> Come on. That's what Jesus is interested in. It's what he's about. Listen, we don't, we don't spend the money to make these cards so that we can have cool stuff. Because number one, they're not that cool. I'm excited to be able to hang out with you all next week and eat good barbecue, but you know what I'm really excited about? I'm excited about some people far from Christ hearing the gospel and having an opportunity to repent and believe it and to be restored to life. And we'll cook up as much barbecue as we have to to get people to hear that. Let's stand to our feet.